become a Christian? What has to happen before you find forgiveness of sin and a new relationship with your Heavenly Father? You know, thus far in our study of Acts, we've seen thousands come to Christ. 3,000 responded to Peter's message on Pentecost and were baptized into Christ. And thousands more came into the church as the apostles and Stephen and Philip preached the good news to them. But we really don't have a detailed account of a conversion until we come to the Ethiopian eunuch. And there we get our first picture of an individual conversion. Now, it's not going to be the last. Acts will have many conversion accounts, and they are very important. If we want to know how to become a Christian, we study the accounts of how people became Christians in the New Testament. And it's in Acts that we find that record. So this morning we come to a very significant account, the conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch. And in this account, we're going to see an interesting progression of events that shows how he was called, taught, and baptized. It begins in an unusual fashion, or it might at first seem so. We're in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 29. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Well, the account begins with an angel speaking to Philip, telling him to arise and go south. Now, he probably did not want to go anywhere. He was leading a revival in Samaria. You know, why should he leave? And unless, of course, it would be to go to another population center where he could do it again. You know, he had a proven track record in ministry. He served as a deacon and then as a witness in the midst of persecution, and now he was a successful evangelist. You know, maybe God was calling him to an even bigger ministry. Arise and go south, the angel said, to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. But wait a minute. That's an isolated stretch of road out in the middle of nowhere. It's deserted some 50 to 60 miles southwest of Jerusalem. You know, most preachers would doubt a call like that. Did I hear it right? But Philip didn't. He simply went. And as he was walking out in the middle of nowhere, 
an Ethiopian eunuch and his entourage just happened to be on the same road at the same time. Now, the eunuch was a court official, a minister of finance for the queen of Ethiopia. Candace wasn't her name, it was her title, kind of like Pharaoh. Candaces ruled Ethiopia for their sons, the kings, who were thought to be offspring of the sun and too holy to administer affairs of state. Well, this eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home. Why he had come to Jerusalem to worship, we can only surmise. Apparently, he believed in the God of the Jews. Now, it's doubtful that he was of Jewish nationality, given his position in Ethiopia, even though there was a Jewish colony there. And it's even doubtful that he was a full proselyte or convert to Judaism because he was a eunuch. In Deuteronomy, we read that no emasculated male is to be allowed in the congregation of Israel. So it's unlikely that he would have been accepted as a full-fledged Jew. And while it is true that eunuch was sometimes used to merely indicate an official position in government, most often it referred to a man who had willingly allowed himself to be emasculated so he could be trusted to care for the king's harem or the queen. So most likely he was a God-fearing Gentile, who had come to Jerusalem to worship, even if he would only be allowed in the court of Gentiles. And while in Jerusalem, he apparently was able to purchase a scroll of Isaiah. And he probably bought it because of the passage that spoke directly to him. He had no doubt already discovered Isaiah 56, 3 through 7. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on the altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Now, if he had a fridge, I'm sure he would have posted that passage on it. What an amazing passage of Scripture for a eunuch to find. And that's probably what drew him to the book of Isaiah. Anyway, he was reading the scroll that he had apparently purchased when Philip caught sight of him. And the Spirit instructed him to attach himself to the eunuch's chariot, to glue himself to it. 
Now, Luke may be using the terms angel and spirit interchangeably here. If not, it shows that Philip not only listened to angels and obeyed them, but he also responded to the leading of the Spirit. Either way, the point is that God was calling the shots here. He's the one who told Philip to go to the stretch of road, and he's the one who so arranged the circumstances that Philip and the eunuch should meet. No, God was actively pursuing that eunuch. He sent an angel and or his spirit to make sure this guy heard the good news. Now, if nothing else, this is a vivid reminder that God has a direct hand in calling people to himself. And we sometimes forget that. Acts 2.38, which we all know well, is an open invitation. But Acts 2.39 adds, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Now that is not limiting who can come to him. It's only saying that God actively calls those who accept his offer of salvation. I realize this raises the tension that exists in our mind between the sovereignty of God and election and the free will of man. And I don't fully understand how both can be true, but they are. The scriptures make it clear that anyone who desires it can come to the Lord. It's not his will that anyone should perish. He hasn't arbitrarily ruled out salvation for anyone. But if we come to the Lord, it's only because He first pursued us. He was calling us before we called upon Him. You know, the epistles are full of references to the fact that we are called of God, that He does the calling. He reaches out. He draws us to himself. Now, that should make you feel very good, very secure about his love. You didn't find him. He found you. God calls us individually to himself. Now, as we see in this account, he generally works through circumstances and other people to call us to himself. But he is the one who is orchestrating everything. He is the one who initiates the call. And he does allow us as his church to be used in that call. You know, he didn't send an angel to the eunuch to tell him how to become a Christian. He sent the angel to Philip and told Philip to go and share his faith with the eunuch. Philip allowed himself to be used by God to communicate what God wanted communicated to a man he had chosen and a man he was calling 
to himself. Again, that is, that is amazing. And quite frankly, it's a bit confusing. How God calls us before we come to him. God chose you, or you wouldn't be here today. That should give you great peace and security. So the eunuch, he was called. That's where it starts. And then he was taught. Let's continue on. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. When the Spirit told Philip to go up to the chariot, he went immediately. He ran up to the chariot, and when he got there, he heard the eunuch reading out loud from the scroll of Isaiah. The first thing he said was quite simply, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that might seem a bit impertinent for a stranger to approach a government official and ask if he understands what he's reading, almost like asking a legislator if he understands the law he just signed. (laughs) Sorry, that's not not in your copy. (laughs) Well, this was a difficult text that he was reading. Even the rabbis argued about it. And here's a foreigner reading it. Philip was just trying to be helpful, asking if he understood it. And you know, that's actually a very good way to approach someone when they're trying to understand God's Word. Not with an air of superiority, you know, let me explain it to you. But simply, do you understand? If they don't, they may invite you to share your understanding with them as did the eunuch. For he replied to Philip, how could I, unless someone guides me? He recognized the need for guidance in studying God's word. Now, that does not justify the position that the church is the only interpreter of God's word. But it is an admission of the fact that we do need each other if we are to understand it. Now, if we study God's Word in isolation from other believers, there's a good chance that our personal biases will color what we read. So we should be open to the insights of others. That's what's so good about a Bible study time. 
where you learn from each other. You challenge each other's thinking on the text. And we should never be too proud to ask for help in understanding God's word. The eunuch wasn't. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And that is the best possible setting for teaching. Not necessarily in a chariot, but invited. So Philip sat down with him, and they no doubt read the passage together. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate, who shall describe his generation, his family, his origin to others? For his life is removed from the earth. Now, Philip knew that this was one of five suffering servant passages in Isaiah. And he knew who Isaiah was talking about. Now, even the eunuch was astute enough to ask if the prophet was talking about himself or someone else. He apparently had a feeling this was a messianic text, but he wasn't sure. So Philip opened his mouth, and beginning where he was, he preached Jesus to him. He showed how Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy. And using that as a springboard, he went on to tell the eunuch all about Jesus. That's certainly a good approach when sharing your faith. Begin where someone is and go from there. And make the focus of everything Jesus. We're not sent out into the world to argue with people. We're sent out with good news. We're sent out with an understanding of God's word. Let's graciously be willing to share our understanding with those who are being called by God to understand his will for them. Something else will soon become obvious about Philip's presentation. He doesn't just teach facts about Jesus. He called for a response to those facts. And that can be seen in what happened next. Verses 36 through 40. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, obviously, Philip had taught the eunuch about baptism. I'm sure you realize there are a lot of incomplete presentations of the gospel today. Baptism 
is controversial. So it's often ignored. But Philip included baptism in his teaching. And as they went along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, I really like that. The eunuch requested to be baptized. Philip didn't have to talk him into it. The eunuch understood. And he was ready. After only one presentation of the gospel. He said, in effect, can we do it now? Now, you may have noticed that verse 37 is bracketed or footnoted. And that's because it's not found in the oldest text. There's nothing wrong with what it says. Obviously, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God before being baptized, and the eunuch obviously believed. You know, I kind of like leaving it out because it shows the eunuch pursuing aggressively his baptism. If we leave out verse 37, it goes kind of like this. Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And immediately he orders the chariot to stop and heads for the pool. I like that. I like that. And they both, notice, Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him, and they came up out of the water. Now, even if we didn't know the Greek word for baptism really means immerse, it's obvious from this description that Philip immersed the eunuch. They both went down into the water and came back out of the water. Attempts to see anything else here are a bit ridiculous. So the eunuch was immersed right there along the road, immediately upon believing in Jesus. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit snatched Philip away. And he found himself in Azotus over on the seacoast, some 20 miles to the north. Apparently, God had something else for him to do there. What it was... We're not told. But eventually, Philip made his way up the coast to Caesarea, where we find him 20 years later in Acts 21 with four daughters who are preaching the gospel, who are prophetesses. That is an amazing little detail. His faith and his commitment to ministry was passed on and multiplied through his offspring. He shared his faith. He witnessed for the Lord in the home. That, I'm convinced, was his primary mission field. I think that little note deserves exclamation points in our Bible. I think that 
was Philip's greatest evangelistic victory. He taught his daughters about Jesus. He taught his daughters about the gospel. He equipped his daughters to share their faith. What what an amazing thing to note on Mother's Day. And what a challenge. What a challenge to mothers. And dads as well. Amazing, amazing story. The eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing because his sins were forgiven And he had a message to share with others. Tradition tells us that he led the queen to the Lord and brought Christianity to Ethiopia. This is quite a conversion account. And it's amazing how quickly it all happened. God called someone. He was taught. And he was baptized. Apparently, it doesn't have to take years to make a decision for Christ. It can happen after just one hearing of the gospel. It did for the eunuch. And it can for you. If Jesus is calling you, the things you hear and the things you see make you think, God loves me. He wants me. He wants me to to walk with him. If you're sensing that, and if you understand that call, if you've been taught enough to understand how he loves you and what he's done, how he's provided for you, and how he wants you to respond to that call, now is the time to respond. Here is water. And it's ready. And it's warm. What hinders you from being baptized? 